if money didn't matter. Business is a tool for life. You don't get what you want in life. You only get what you're willing to suffer for. You're entering the age of entrepreneurs with Clark Varon. How world-class entrepreneurs succeed in business and life. Mike Begg and his company, AMZ Advisors, have generated $500 million in e-commerce sales for him and his clients. He also operates AMZ Courses, which educates Amazon sellers on how to increase their sales on the platform. And Mike enjoys scaling and finding ways to do things better. He's built international offices for his company in Mexico, where he currently resides. And he loves sharing advice and tips on anything related to Amazon, improve, in improving business efficiency and establishing companies internationally. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Clark. It's good to be here, and I'm glad to be speaking with your audience. Hopefully, I can uh, give them a good a good speech today, so they can learn a little bit about me, what what I do, and my experience. Yeah, uh, I'm ready to dive into it. So, right, one awesome. of the awesome things, one of the awesome things about this new age that we live in, the age of entrepreneurs, is like the ability to start online businesses, because a lot of people want to do exactly what you did. Yeah. You picked up. And you're living in Mexico right now. Where, where are you calling me from? I am calling from uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. I've lived here for three years. And why Mexico? Like what, what dragged you down there? Uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but uh, you know, when we were first starting our online business, we weren't exactly sure how things were going to go. It was really our first, uh, well, one of our first big ventures into entrepreneurship, kind of you know, going all in without supporting ourselves without any other jobs. So we decided to move down to Mexico, uh, myself and my two other partners. And we were living in Playa del Carmen for about three months. Uh, after three months, I wanted to get out, see something different, uh, see, so, see what actual Mexico is like. And I ended up here in Guadalajara where I met my girlfriend. And more or less, I've, I've been here ever since. So was it like a move of just like, Hey, why not live on the beach? Like if I can live anywhere, is that? <laughs> yeah, that's more or less it. Um, you know, we're, we're all from uh, myself. My two partners were originally from Connecticut. We, you know, we love, I mean, Connecticut's all right, but the wet, the winters are just miserably cold. And, you know, we, we told ourselves we were never going to do that again. So New Year's Eve, uh, 20, 2016, uh, we flew down to Mick, to Mexico. Uh, and we were there from January to March. Uh, and, you know, it was awesome. That's, that's where it all started. My two partners still spend most of their time in Playa del Carmen. Uh, I just happen to live here in Guadalajara now. So I'm super interested in this because my girlfriend and I have been saying for like the last two years that we're, it's our last minute, it's our last Minnesota winter ever. And so we have been looking at like renting a place in Cancun. Uh, we don't really know where, uh, but you know, I just brief, briefly looked at like, what's the cost of living. And um, I'm, I'm curious, like, why did you choose Guadalajara? Like, well, um, well like I said, I, I met my girlfriend here. So I kind of ended up staying here uh, after that. But yeah. I mean, as a city, Guadalajara is phenomenal. It's the second biggest city in Mexico. It's known as the Silicon Valley of Mexico. So there's a lot of tech startups. Uh, there's a really cool business scene here. A lot of entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot when it comes to like a business sense. It's there's a lot more going on here than there is at the beach, which is kind of interesting for me because 
I really like enjoying from, uh, I really enjoy learning from other people and other businesses and what they're doing. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I ended up here. Uh, cost of living wise though, it's one of the cheaper places in the country. Um, you know, along the beaches, it's a little bit more expensive because you have so much tourism uh, and foreign money coming in, but in Guadalajara, you know, it's very local, very authentic, um, cities of 4 million people. And I live 30 minutes from the town of tequila. So I can get you know, fresh Jose Cuervo, Herradura, whatever type <laughs> of tequila I want anytime. So I can't really complain. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. All right. Let's go back to, uh, the beginning of your journey. Um, where did you start? Like, how did, how did you get into this space in the first place? Yeah. So originally myself and one of my other partners, uh, we, well, all three of us were working corporate jobs and we were kind of tired of it. We realized that like, as long as we were working under someone else, we weren't really going to be happy with what we were doing. So we started looking at ways to make money on the side, uh, trying to find a passive income source. We tried things like affiliate marketing, um, some other, some other kind of gimmicky things to me. Uh, then we started selling Kindle eBooks, which some people might still say is gimmicky, but it's a different story. Uh, I, I was, there, I, yeah. I, I, when I saw that, like when I was in my previous research, I was like, can you actually make money selling Kindle eBooks? Like you can, uh, you know, we, I still make money from it. I get royalties every month, but it's really how much time and effort you want to put into it. And uh, just for me, the reward wasn't worth it in the long term. Uh, but okay. once we were in kind of that Amazon ecosystem, we started learning about other opportunities on the platform. And one of them was selling physical products on Amazon, which, I mean, at the time, you know, this was 2014, 2015, I really had no idea that you could even sell products on Amazon before that. Uh, and let alone did I know that you could sell other brands products on Amazon. So what we did was we went to pretty much every Target and Walmart in the tri-state area in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, just bought everything on clearance and threw it up on Amazon and started making money that way. Uh, from there, it turned into actually importing products from Asia and selling them on Amazon. And then finally, we had the idea for the agency because we realized we were really good at doing the advertising and the marketing and actually getting sales to increase on Amazon. But the challenge for us was dealing with the inventory management and uh, maintaining inventory levels. So we kind of played to our strengths and went the agency route. And that's more or less how we are here today. <laughs> how did you learn uh, those steps, like how, how, how did you learn to get it up on Amazon? Did you find a mentor or buy a course or like what? It, yeah. So, uh, the first one we started with was with, for the Kindle books and we bought it from, um, I, I don't know his last name, his name's Stefan, uh, project life mastery is his thing. And, uh, you know, that's where we started learning about the eBooks. And we saw in one of his emails or something that he had this other course for teaching people how to sell products on Amazon. Um, I think one of my partners bought that, but we really just started doing our own research and we found a lot of really helpful groups and podcasts that were out there like Scott Volker, the amazing seller. We learned a lot from him. Um, Greg Mercer, a jungle scout. And we just started piecing together what we were hearing from all of them and what we had learned in the course and just going out there and, you know, acting on it. And at the time, it was, it was perfect. Amazon wasn't as competitive. So we were able to find a nice niche where we made, well, we found a couple niches where we made a lot of money. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of how we got started on that. So 
if I'm piecing this together right, you started with eBooks, right? Yep. And that probably gave you like your beginning just marketing experience. How does that ebook business work? Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. Uh, with Kindle publishing, uh, you can publish ebooks on the Amazon platform. You can also have them turned into a physical book, and Amazon will do that. We'll do the printing for you and all of that. You just need to submit the document to them, the sizing, the images, the front cover, back cover, all that good stuff. And then Amazon puts it on the platform. You have the ability to advertise it. And depending on where your price point is determines how much of a royalty you're going to get from your book sales. So I believe the royalties are either 35% or 70% based on the price point. So yeah, I mean, for having recurring revenue and getting royalties from a book, it's it's not bad, but again, like unless you're really going to go all in and try to do the SEO both on Amazon and off Amazon to get traffic to it. It's just, it's a way to make some money, but for us, it wasn't something that we saw as like, oh, this is going to make us a millionaire. Like we were like, <laughs> all right, let's just get started, like making money, figuring this out. And then once we did that, we just started learning more. But this, this isn't a book that you wrote. Yeah. This is other people's uh, books. Yeah. We wrote, uh, no, there are books. Uh, we each wrote, well, we had a ghostwriter, uh, write, I think seven or eight books each. Um, they cost like, I don't know, I think it was like a hundred bucks per book to have it written. Uh, we've definitely made more than a hundred bucks per book back over the five or six years since we started doing that. Um, what? You had a ghostwriter write a, a book for a hundred bucks? Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. We had a ghostwriter do it. Um, yeah. The books are like, English yeah. Uh, like 70 to 80 pages. Maybe I think somewhere a hundred. I wrote one. I wrote a couple for real estate because my background is, was in real estate before I got into this um, myself. And those were a little bit longer, like 150 pages, but yeah, I mean, we, we were paying people to do this for us. We were putting, you know, the graphic design for the covers and just putting it together and uploading it to Amazon and just letting them sell and see what happened. That kind of blows my mind a little bit because, you know, like in sales so much, I, I'm, I sell online courses. Like I have a course called uh, emerging market secrets. And I'm thinking about like building out my front end. I'm like, Hey, maybe I'll have like a book offer, you know, or like make an ebook offer or something like that. And I would have never thought like, Hey, hire a ghostwriter, get it done for a hundred bucks. Yeah. It's, it's so much more efficient. I mean, there are those talented writers everywhere. And just from my experience of running the agency, we have our content writer here we have one of our, uh, our, sorry, our content manager here, one of our content writers here, and another one in the Philippines. So we're producing a lot of blog content from people that have native English uh, writing capabilities. And we're just making sure it's edited, everything sounds good, and just producing content. So the ability to find a ghostwriter, it's pretty easy when you look around the world. Um, there's a lot of people that are talented enough and have good enough write, uh, English writing skills, or they're maybe from an area where the cost of living is, is pretty low. Like I'm sure there's probably a lot of good content writers in Africa that are writing in English. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just good opportunities anywhere you kind of look. So did you, I mean, do you just pop on a few interviews with this person? Like, here's what I want to put into it. Here's what I want to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, more or less. I don't remember exactly now. It was like a while ago. I don't remember if I sent them like an outline or like resources that I wanted them to include and like the, the outline of the book. Um, I don't remember exactly the full steps, but there's a lot of people, you can look on Fiverr. I'm pretty sure I found all my writers on Fiverr or Upwork. And there's a 
also a ton of ghostwriting services out there that are pretty cheap as well. So definitely lots of different ways to find a writer to write your book for you. Cool. So um, I, I saw that you had mentioned somewhere retail arbitrage. Is that what you meant by like going around to all these retail clearance sections and throwing things up on, you know, online retail? Yeah, that's exactly what we were doing. And that's, that's the name for it. There's a, and there's plenty of people that do this for a living full time and they're making you know six figures a year, just going around and buying stuff on clearance. We're taking at, when you're doing this, you're essentially taking advantage of the differences in pricing or arbitraging the difference between prices in a physical store and what's online. And I remember when we started the first product we sold that way was a, uh, was a Wi-Fi router. And we bought the router for like 30 bucks. It was selling for like, I think 90 on Amazon. And we were like, sweet. We just, you know, after Amazon fees, we netted like $50 for the sale. We didn't have to develop a product. It was just more of going out there and finding the product. Um, And like I said, clearance sections are a great place to look for stuff that's at a big discount. So you can also gain a little bit more uh, room on the pricing. And then hopefully, you know, you can check it against Amazon while you're in-store shopping and seeing what your opportunity is to actually make a profit on it. That's just wild to me. Like that person's job, if you're doing retail arbitrage is just like getting rid of market inefficiencies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's wild. It's funny that that exists, but uh, there was a story, I forgot what, what paper or magazine wrote it, but about uh, nomad retail arbitragers who literally go around the country buying stuff up shipping it to Amazon FBA, letting Amazon handle all the fulfillment for them, and then just making money from it and living that way and making $100,000 a year or more. (laughs) So there's always lots of opportunities to make money. It's just, they're not always the most obvious. Yeah, that one's not obvious because I typically think like, man, if you're going to, like, why would you buy something physically in stores? Because it's almost always cheaper on Amazon. That's, That's how I think, you know, it's like almost always cheaper on Amazon. Except yeah, a few things. Yeah, as more as more and more inventory comes on, and you know, more uh, there's more pricing competitiveness between listings. It is harder <laughs> and harder to do that. But there's still other ways you can do it. You can also do what's uh, known as uh, buying uh, liquidation orders. So you can pretty much buy products that are returned to Amazon or Walmart or whatever other store at a huge discount on a pallet, and then you can send all that back. I mean, I've found pallets of. Uh, you know, laptops, TVs, like huge electronics that have pretty high price points and you get them for a pretty big discount. So you can resell it refurbished and probably make some good money on it. Or you know, if you need a new laptop, you can probably just get one for free after you sell everything off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. This story reminds me of the Zappos guy. Do, do you know his, no, I like he's, he threw up, you know, Zappos online and then went into a bunch of like retail shoe outlets he was like, hey, can I take pictures of your shoes? And if they sell, I'll come buy them from you and then resell them on the website. Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, that's that's another classic arbitrage. It's like drop shipping. Same way to make money. There's there's always these little, like you said, market inefficiencies that give you opportunities to just make some sales, get some revenue in the door. And yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows what could happen? <laughs> So for Zappos, that was his like minimum viable product. He kind of proved that he could make money selling shoes online. Uh, it sounds like that's the same thing for you, right? That was like your first step into the game. Yeah. Uh, kind of figuring out how it worked, seeing what kind of money we could make from it. You know, part of the problem is you're buying products that 
look like they're, they're a good opportunity, but they might uh, sell a little bit slower on Amazon. So it was part of the problem. And then we figured out that, well, if we build our own brand within the Amazon platform, we can do our research beforehand, find our niche where we think it's going to sell well, and then make sure that we just have inventory of that product instead of having mm-hmm. 100 units of 50 different SKUs and not knowing which ones are going to sell. We've got 100 units of one SKU, and now we know that, all right, we're going to put all our marketing and advertising efforts here, and we're going to be able to sell and have better control over the sales channel mm-hmm. by doing that. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. how we started getting into physical products, importing from Asia and building out our brands. So you figured out how to do all this the hard way, you know, <laughs> going, going into the retail stores and, and using uh, retail arbitrage. How would you recommend someone like brand new to e-commerce break in? Do you, do you think that they should just try to find like one killer product or do you think that they should just try to find 10 things and then keep the one that's doing the best? Like what, what's your advice? There, there, I mean, there's a lot of different approaches to this and there's a lot of people that make a full-time living just selling products on Amazon. There are still a ton of niches out there and there's constantly more niches developing as new products come out, as new needs, uh, as new customer demands need to be answered. So you might find a product category that, you know, you buy a bunch of units, maybe it only makes three or $4,000 a month in sales. But if you're just supporting yourself or, you know, just you and your family, it's a one person operation, you find five or six of those. I mean, now you're making some decent money every month. So that's a approach an approach that a lot of people take. The way I prefer doing things is really building a brand out of something. So instead of finding different niches that may be in unrelated product categories, I prefer to find a niche where I think I can build a brand and dominate or help my clients build a brand and dominate and then build out the advertising, help them build the brand awareness and start stealing market share from the competitors on the marketplace. And you know that's what we do at our agency and that's uh, what we focus on for our clients. So if I wanted to like focus on building a brand, do I start with one product? Do I try to import five products? Like if I'm brand you can, new. Yeah, I mean, you could start with one product. You don't need to go crazy. Uh, you know, obviously I'm a big proponent of like you said with Zappos, a minimal viable product, don't invest a ton of money into something until you know you're actually going to make a return on it. Mm-hmm. So I would start with one product. You can do what's called a test buy. So you'd buy a couple hundred units from the manufacturer in China or you know, wherever you're manufacturing the product, have it shipped to US, send it to Amazon FBA and just see how long it takes you to sell out. You can you know, make sure your listings are optimized for SEO. You could run some advertising if you need to, to get it going. And then, yeah, just, just see if it makes sense. Like if you're making a good margin on it, if you're showing, if you're seeing that there's demand for your products, then it it might make sense to start scaling more. You can buy more units, get a bigger pricing discount, and then start looking at related product lines, start rolling out other product lines. I mean, it all, it all takes cash and it all takes capital, which is, is the biggest challenge that retail brands in general run into. Um, You know, if they have too much money tied up in inventory and they don't have cash, it becomes really hard to actually run your business. Um, so yeah, starting small, if you're getting into it for the first time, doing a test buy, trying you know, a couple hundred units, see what happens. And then from there, figuring out how you're going to scale. How much money in ads does someone, should someone like allocate for their test buy? Uh, that's a tough question. Uh, it really depends. The cost per clicks on Amazon really vary between categories. And that's something you really need to do the research on beforehand. 
certain categories on Amazon are very competitive, like supplements, uh, health products. Those are probably some of the, the categories you want to avoid. But there are a lot of other niches where you may be able to get in and the cost of advertising is low. For example, I have clients that have cost per clicks that are 50 cents per click. So, you know, you can kind of reverse engineer the numbers if you want to. If you say you're going to have a 10% conversion rate uh, per click, it's going to cost you 50 cents per click. So that's going to cost you uh, $5, $5 per sale. So you got to make that fit within your margin. Then you need to reverse engineer how many units you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can do the math on it and figure out exactly how much advertising spend you need. And if you're doing a couple hundred units, you probably don't need more than a thousand dollars in a month. Um, I would say that's, that's probably at the high end. And it also depends on how efficient you are with your advertising. So the better you are, uh, at putting your advertising dollars to use, the less wasted ad spend there's going to be and the quicker you're going to be able to turn your inventory. So one thing that like, if I were to get into this, which I'm, I'm not actually an e-com guy, like I said, I'm an online courses guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if I were to get into this, I'd be scared about buying a hundred units or something. Um, and then just like having boxes and boxes sitting in my house. Cause Amazon, FBA, Amazon, like eventually kills your, kicks your product out if it doesn't sell. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's usually after 12 months. So you have a lot of time. Um, it, and it's not that they will physically kick your product out. It's that they'll start charging you fees and the fees get really expensive if you leave it in there for over 12 months. So, I mean, a hundred units, depending on what you're selling, like, you know, I have photos on our website of us. I think we bought like 2000 units or something. And it was maybe, I don't know, 10, 10, 10 boxes. So, you know, that doesn't seem that much. If you're buying a couple hundred units, it might be one or two boxes. Uh, it really doesn't take up that much space. I mean, if you need it, you can get a storage space for a couple hundred dollars a month to keep it in. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's more of whether you have like that entrepreneurial mindset, whether you want to take a risk on something and whether you see the return uh, being actually worth it in the long run. So for us, like we realized like, all right, we'll put a couple thousand dollars into this inventory. If it takes off great, if it fails, like at least we'll hopefully make our money back. We'll break even over a year or whatever. And like worst case scenario, like we move on to something else best case scenario, it takes off. So when you think about it from that perspective, your downside is really just your initial investment and what you're spending there. And your upside is, you know, the potential of whatever you could be making, or if your brand Mm -hmm. actually takes off. So I think looking at it from that perspective helps a lot to kind of uh, justify getting into that test buy and just getting into the process of selling online. But I'm sure like you have some kind of process now where you can kind of gauge you can kind of determine whether or not this is going to be a successful product before you put that money out there. I'm guessing. Yeah. We help our clients a lot with that in the product development. There's a lot of research tools out there. Uh, One of them is Jungle Scout. Another one is Helium 10, uh, Viral Launch. These are all different software specific for Amazon where they'll do some uh, projections to show you what uh, certain sales are in an Amazon category, how competitive it is. And then from there, you can kind of make judgments on whether you think it's worth the investment to get there. Um, I think, I think it's viral launch. They actually have a tool to show you how much advertising dollars you would need to invest to actually get to page one. Um, so you can kind of, again, you can see how much of an investment you need to actually start selling a lot. So what are like the core metrics that you'd need to know? You probably need to know like your buying price and your selling price, right? That's your margin. 
Yep. And then you probably need to know like the rate of turnover, like how many units are selling per month or something like that. Is that, yeah. is that true? Is our, yeah, <laughs> no, you, something? you're spot on. Uh, the biggest things we look for are obviously price points um, and what you're able to buy the product for. So if you're significantly over competitor prices, it's going to be a little bit harder to market your product depending on the category. Um, if it's less competitive, it may not make that much of a difference. Uh, and obviously your cost, and then you need to figure out what your Amazon fees are. They come out, FBA comes out to about 15%. The referral fees come out to about another 15%. So there you're looking at 30% of your margin. Uh, so now you need to figure out your advertising and cost of, uh, cost of good to make it fit within that 70%. Uh, you also want to look at what the competitors have for reviews. If they have thousands and thousands and thousands of reviews, it's going to be really hard to launch a product down there with zero reviews. Um, it just, that category might be a little bit more difficult. Um, and then yeah, monthly sales to estimate how quickly you're going to be able to turn inventory, how much inventory you're going to need to order. And then how much inventory, how many sales you're going to need to actually get to page one per month. Um, cause once you can start calculating that I need, well, that every seller on page one is doing, you know, $2,000, 2000 units per month how am I going to be able to get my product to 2000 units per month? And you got to figure out your advertising game plan. You might be looking at off platform SEO, getting uh, link building to, to your product page. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to really get that traffic and get those sales. So it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a, uh, it's a big marketing plan you need to put together once you figure out whether the product uh, can actually make you money. So. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, with how much you just described, it's like you need a whole team for marketing. You need a whole team for distribution. That's why I have <laughs> a job. Is... <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you have a job. Yeah. No, I mean, so, yeah. Is your core competency in advertising then? Is that what you're best at? Yeah. So what our team specializes in is the content creation and the advertising side. We are really a full service firm. So what we'll help uh, all of our clients with is that we'll do the SEO copywriting. So they're optimized for Amazon and also optimized for Google. We will do the graphic design to give them the highest opportunities to convert when a customer comes to Amazon, because as you might realize, most people, when they actually reach a product page or anything, they're, they're looking at the images. They're not reading the text there. So being able to highlight the main selling points within the images is super important. And then beyond that, figuring out how you're actually going to get the marketing strategy in place. So how many promotional units do I want to give away? Um, how much advertising spend do I need to spend each month? What keywords am I going to spend that on? So yeah, that's, that's really where we help our clients formulate a full game plan and then go out there and execute it for them. So you like first help them create a page that actually like looks good, converts, is optimized. And then it, from there it's traffic, right? So yep. It's traffic, traffic and then just systems. So uh, you want to make sure that you're driving as much traffic as possible to the page, but then as the customer buys, you want to find ways to try to engage with them uh, and try to make that relationship last beyond just that initial purchase. I mean, if you can build an audience mm -hmm. out of these people coming, that's super important. Uh, and a lot of people will use mm -hmm. review follow-up systems, uh, product insert cards. So there's a lot of different ways to engage with the customer after they've actually made the purchase. Um, and yeah, that's, that's all part of the sales funnel that we help our clients build. I buy a lot of stuff on Amazon. Like I I'm the guy who, um, I don't want to own a car until like 
there are electric cars that are Ubers, you know, because I work from home. I buy my groceries on Amazon, like, or on, uh, on Amazon prime or whatever they get delivered to me on Instacart now, actually. And then I buy like everything I need on, on Amazon. And so it's like, I I do have a, a car, like me and my girlfriend have a car, but I, the point is that I like everything <laughs> delivered to me. So I buy a lot on Amazon. Yeah. I mean, you're not alone. Everyone likes convenience. And that's why Amazon started rolling out faster delivery times. And now we see every other platform out there having to keep up because people want stuff now when they buy it. Um, you know, there's, I think if you look online, you can see so many people joking about like waiting for yeah. packages and you know, all this stuff. But yeah, convenience is the most important thing with e-commerce. And that's, especially now with COVID when literally most stores are closed uh, or a majority of stores are closed or I lost a lot of sales, people started shifting more and more to online shopping. So that actually accelerates a lot of trends within the online space, within the online space that wasn't there before. So, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, even like the cost of grocery delivery is still like way higher than it was pre COVID way higher. Yeah. I mean, it's still expensive, so, but it, it, over time, those costs are going to continue to come down and it's really just worth it. It's really just how much you value your time at uh, as well. I mean, having too many subscriptions gets too expensive and maybe you're not getting the most out of all of them. But I mean, if you're shopping once per week and it costs you know, 15 bucks or 20 bucks to get it delivered, it might be worth it instead of spending an hour at the store so you can you know, do whatever else you want in your free time. No kidding. No kidding. Like it's those little things that I don't want to have to deal with, you know, you're not alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but the question I have is that like, I buy so much on Amazon yeah. yet the retailers aren't all emailing me. Like I, I don't get an email from every purchase that I make, but some, some do somehow, some of them do get my email. What's going on there? <laughs> Um, well, that's a good question. So the Amazon system allows, uh, retailers on the platform to send follow-up emails and they used to be able to send three. It's now been restricted to one and customers are actually allowed to opt out of receiving these emails. So you probably have not opted out, which is why you're receiving them. But a lot of people also don't even really push that as a channel to get, uh, reviews or to follow up with a customer, learn more about how their experience was, whatever it is. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to use those follow-up emails, but it, it's it's part of the problem with what we see with most clients on Amazon is that they don't know exactly what they need and what can help them succeed more. And these little changes like implementing an email follow-up system will make a huge change to the amount of reviews they're generating over time, which can you know, lead to more uh, to better better social proof on their listings, which can lead to more sales. And it's all a positive feedback loop. And just getting those systems in place is where a lot of companies are really lacking. That seems like the the first thing to do. Like when you say, "Hey, we want to re, we want to engage with customers," yeah, after they purchase, isn't that like shouldn't everyone know that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of it, and it's it's just so much money left on the table. Like everyone, like I said, everyone looks at Amazon as a one-time purchase platform. But Amazon's evolving more and more and you, know, you as a business need to evolve as well. So you can build your audience within Amazon if you want, but what, it's also more valuable to have your own audience outside of Amazon that you can use for your own advertising, that you can drive future sales to your website 
or even be able to drive future sales on Amazon for new products that you're launching, knowing that you already have a customer that liked your brand, hopefully liked your brand, uh, and wants a product that's maybe related to something they already bought. So that's, mm -hmm. those are all powerful tools for actually growing your brand online over time. How else do you re-engage customers? Uh, another common way that a lot of sellers uh, are doing is uh, using programs like ManyChat, uh, chatbots. So for example, they'll send a product insert card, uh, you'll scan the QR code, it'll add them to a messenger uh, bot. Uh, so through Facebook Messenger, and then they'll be able to engage with the customer through Facebook Messenger. They'll be able to send them promotions, uh, drive them trapped to wherever they want. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Uh, those are probably just some of the more common ones that I know of. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Um, so what, what do you like, what's next for you? I mean, you, you've got a pretty well-established business now. How big is your team? Yeah. Uh, we have here in Mexico, I think 15 people. Uh, we have one in Asia, one in Italy, and then another six in the U S plus us three. So it's about 20, 20, 26, 27 people. Yeah. Plus we have some freelancers in the Philippines as well. I forgot about those. So yeah, maybe 30 in total. That's a pretty big team. Like, are, do you can, do you plan to keep growing? Like, yeah. do you want to add more, add more staff or oh, yeah, of course. have you like achieved the lifestyle you want? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I mean, for me, I, I just love building it. Like I, it's so much fun to build the business and take it from literally zero to where it is now, uh, you know, doing you know, millions of dollars a year in revenue. It's, it's awesome. It's such a good feeling. And without doing a lot of the things we did, like opening an office here in Mexico, we probably wouldn't have grown as fast. Uh, but because we've taken advantage of differences in, uh, you know, labor costs, we've been able to grow a lot faster. So we'll probably continue to add more people to our team here in Mexico. We'll probably look at other places as well, uh, for, you know, other things we need, like ad management on Amazon. Um, no, I mean, I love it. I, I don't think I, I'll ever be like satisfied and set and be like, nah, like I'm not growing anymore. Um, it's just so much fun to me to keep it going. How do you find good talent in Mexico? Yeah, they're, well, I mean, it's, it's like anything. It's like the US. Like if you're looking for people, you're going to put out a job post. Uh, the biggest platform here in Mexico is Indeed. Um, it's the same as in the US probably, but you can also post stuff on uh, Facebook groups. There's a lot of uh, Facebook groups with freelancers, you know, whatever specialty you're looking for. There's a lot of different ways to find talent. Um, for us, it's really important that our talent is English speaking. I mean, I, I'm fluent in Spanish, but both of my business partners aren't as fluent. Um, so it's important for the, our team to be able to communicate in English with uh, my business partners, as well as our team in, in uh, Europe, in the US, you know, Asia, wherever they are. So the thing we do is we post all of our job posts in English. We have our admin assistant uh, screening all the people beforehand they, he, uh, we have a scale, uh, that he rates them their English level on and depending on the job, whether it, uh, it falls within the range that we need, we'll then interview them one-on-one -on -one or, you know, all three of us. And then, you know, it's kind of our process for identifying talent that we want. Um, you know, we, we've hired everything down here in Mexico from, 
uh, client facing people to back office staff to mm-hmm. uh, content services. So there's a wide variety of um, there's a wide variety of different job positions that you can find here. And the talent is, I mean, they're very talented. <laughs> a lot of them have MBAs and uh, degrees from other schools that you know, would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to hire that employee in the U.S. And you know, we get it for a fraction of the cost. But still, like I have uh, been through the experience of, you know, trying to build an agency yeah. and it's very tough. Like you, you have to really think about systemizing everything and like creating process for everything and templates for everything. And so like if I were to hire you, uh, if I were to hire you and, and say like, I want to build a brand about selling tea. We got this tea brand I'm selling on Amazon. Okay. Um, do you have like pods of teams that I would be like, okay, I'll stick you with this pod of this team. Um, or is it kind of like a flow through the business? Like how, how are you structuring that to like keep your sanity at 30 people? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we definitely have our system in place. You know, we, as the, the minute that the deal is closed, uh, everything starts going in, into motion. So we have our sales assistant reach out with a contract, get the credit card information, put it into the on, uh, invoicing system. The client gets invoiced. You know, From there, they're sent over to our account manager. They have the introductory call. Uh, so the client-facing person, they have the introductory call. They establish the main action points that they need to take. You know, the content I said was one of the main pieces. They, you know, they hand it off to the content team, get the content we need done goes back to the account manager, we get the advertising set up and, you know, just the cycle goes on and on from there. Um, but system wise, like we, we use a lot of good tools. Uh, Zapier is probably one of the best tools there is for automating a lot of these aspects. Um, you know, we also use Confluence, which is essentially like uh, Confluence by Allison, which is like having your own internal Wikipedia. So we document everything through there so everyone can refer to it. And we also take advantage of uh, video. Video content's great because we can actually show people how to do things. Uh, the video is recorded and needs to be updated from time to time, but for, it can provide a lot of value to a new person that needs to learn a process or that needs to get something done just by looking at how to do it through the video. So yes, it's constantly building processes and making sure things move smoothly, but I think you get to a certain point. Um, you know, we have project managers that help move certain aspects along. I have a content manager that helps me on the marketing side. Um, like I said, we have a sales assistant. So when you have people you can trust and actually um, give those a lot of the responsibilities too, it makes it a lot easier for you to focus on what's most important for the business to actually grow it. What do you think are some of like the biggest hurdles that you face growing that team? Because <laughs> you you started out of a beach house, right? I, I think I read like you and you and your two business partners were just like, all right, let's move into the beach house together and. <laughs> get this thing built until we have enough revenue to survive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> we did start in the beach house. It's a funny story, but anyway, um, the hurdle, the biggest hurdles, you know, initially were at first just news learning how to get everything done. I mean, we knew how to do things for ourselves when we were sellers, but when a client comes to you or, at least in our space, when a client comes to us with their seller account on Amazon, there could be 50 things that are wrong and we don't know why they, they're wrong or what they did wrong within the, the system. So we have to, you know, kind of um, troubleshoot, figure out how to fix things. Uh, you know, just learning that part of it was one thing. And then being able to pass that knowledge on to someone else was another. 
Um, yeah. But as we started scaling and hiring people, especially that were outside of the US, we ran into a lot of issues with uh, uh, payment processing. So, you know, sending international payments to the US, uh, to Mexico, excuse me, or to other countries can be a challenge sometimes. And, you know, if you send too much money, you can get flagged for things that can just cause headaches. And that created a lot of problems for our employees because it was leading to delayed payments. They weren't getting paid on time. And in general, that's something we don't, you know, we want our employees to feel safe. Like, you know, we don't want them to have to worry about money. Like I, yeah. that's such a terrible feeling uh, that you're not getting paid for something you're doing. So that's something like is really important to us that they don't have that issue. So we got to a certain point where we couldn't send enough money through the, the international transfers uh, that we had to start a um, kind of business down here to employ everybody. Um, so, you know, figuring out the legal hurdles of operating in Mexico was another challenge. Um, you know, there's, there's always little hurdles along the way, but I mean, the big hurdles are, you know, figuring out how you're going <laughs> to, how you're going to build the team, how you're going to pay them. Uh, at least for me, I think that's like the most important thing from my, from my point of view. <laughs> that's, that's a funny story. I, um, so I told you that I have a course, right? It, the course is on how to invest in emerging markets, Yeah. but I also have a fund in Uganda. Oh, right. Okay. So we invest, maybe you've heard of microfinancing before, but we invest in like super small entrepreneurs, like people who make a few bucks a day. We help them double, triple, quadruple their income by basically like business coaching them. And so we give out like a few thousand micro loans a year, trying to just improve like the situation of the poorest of the poor in Uganda. Right. Yeah my bank account got shut down in the States because I was sending like a hundred thousand dollars to Uganda every week. And <laughs> that's a minor problem. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a big red flag. Um, it's a big red flag. Yeah. And then I called up one of my mentors who also is in microfinancing. I'm like, Hey, how did you get around this? He's like, Oh, you've got to go with the Canadian banks, BMO Harris. <laughs> no American bank is going to let you send a hundred grand to Uganda. Yeah, exactly. There's always like, there are so many um, hurdles and like uh, obstacles that are put in your way just by the way that the current system is set up. Like this is just one example of them. There's lots of laws that don't make sense. Like for example, for one of our products, we were importing uh, when we were uh, creating our own brands, we bought uh, colored pencils from China apparently there's a tariff on pencils from China and we had no idea. So like there's all these <laughs> obstacles that you're going to face over time. They're just going to cost you money and it's going to end up being a mistake, but yeah, they're all just opportunities to learn and uh, just not make those mistakes in the future. That is hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. How can people follow up with you? How can they reach out to you or, or hire you if they want help uh, marketing their, their Amazon products? Yeah, for sure. So the best way to get in touch with us is either directly through our website, amzadvisors.com, or they can reach out to me directly. My email is mike at amzadvisors.com. You know, if you're looking for any help on the Amazon platform, we can do the full service management for you. We can also offer a la carte services from content creation to advertising. And our course will also be available on the website very soon. So. With all that, there's lots of different opportunities to work with us as an agency, and we'll find some way to help you grow your sales on Amazon. <laughs>